Well, let's jump into this today. Focus Church, uh, five, eight principles of a Bible-driven church, and we're going to be talking about that each Sunday uh, at 11.30 a.m. in the office. We'll be going through a lesson that kind of dovetails with each of these principles, and it goes through a book uh, that, that our church uh, has, has published on Amazon Kindle, uh, What is a Bible-Driven Church?, and and so you can get that, and you can follow along, or you can watch on YouTube and then come over. Um, but this will be helpful for us. There are so many things to be involved in, aren't there? Your life is so packed. And, and right even today, you have probably chosen this among so many other things that you could be doing right now. And I'm not going to go into that, because that will distract you. Um, but even purposes, things to give yourself to. Very good causes to be involved in, to be filled with, to fill your schedule with. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more next Sunday because it's the same for churches. There are literally thousands of things we could give our attention to as Grace Church. So many. And so how do we choose? How do we focus our attention from the blur that is everything to... One specific thing, right? I just think of even this week, like there are so many things I could have spoken about. The queen, right? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on that, it, that everybody's talking about. Like, but why do we each Sunday open the Bible and go through a passage of scripture? So this is going to help us with this. And as I mentioned, it's going to be the weeks leading up to our birthday, October 30th. Okay, so let's receive, by God's grace, some focus, Maybe I'll ask this question to help us begin this. What do you want in church? What do you want in church? That's an interesting question. That is one thing we could literally ask as we prepare on what to focus on as a church. What do people need in our community? What needs do they really feel? And how can we take care of that need? How can we take care of that need in such a way that they feel good about themselves and their circumstances? What itches can we scratch? Even non-Christians. And there's something helpful to listening to those needs. One group really did this very well and started what we would say is a, a church marketing movement. And you may be familiar with this, you may not uh, this is the mega church movement, uh, and, uh, and this would be kind of started before I was born. Um, with one of the key figures of this, I wonder if anybody just throws out a name. What's a name from the 70s? Okay, Bill Hybels is, is the one who popularized this, Willow Creek Church. Um, and this is what he did. He asked this question in the suburbs of Chicago, and that was his design for Willow Creek community church what do people want and this this kind of shifted everything from it became consumer marketing and they took a survey and whatever the people in chicago suburbs wanted is what the way they designed their church he said it's in books okay this is their purpose and so number one people don't want to be bugged about money Right? That's not going to agree that one. But, but like they just went through 10 customer surveys and found out this is what people want in a shirt. 
This is just simple marketing. So this is the kind of shirt we're going to make. And we're going to sell it. And it's sold big time. Not just that church, but that idea spread as a cancer throughout all of evangelical Christianity. And so it became the second largest church in America. Let me just share one of the prominent things. He became a world leader in church leadership, Christian leadership. He became an advisor to Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Obama, all four of them. Clinton met met with him monthly, Bill Hybels, talking about leadership, just very upfront about their pragmatism. This is what we're going to do. We're going to design a church for non-Christians. We're going, to design, can you, we're going to design a church by name, a gathering of Christians, design it for non-Christians. That's the church marketing movement. We're going to find a church and design it for non-Christians. It's an anomaly. As I talk to some larger churches in our city, actually, they will tell me, I sit down on coffee, they'll tell me, this is our, we follow Bill Hybels marketing trend. That's, it's still followed today. Now, in 2008, Bill Hybels got up at a global leadership summit, and he said, we've made a big mistake. And he disavowed this mentality. Um, he said, uh, detailed Willow uh, study, again, a study, not of the Bible, but of you know, they're, what they're doing. We, we found that church has helped many people find Jesus, but had failed to teach them how to practice the spiritual disciplines needed to grow in their faith. And then you probably have heard this, uh, and I should finish the story. Uh, ten years later, Bill Hybels had to resign uh, because of sexual misconduct. Lead pastor Heather Larson announced she was resigning And the whole elder board had to resign because they did not bring those things to light and take care of them. And yet still, to this day, as I meet with pastors, this is their mindset. And when I talk to them, I just try to, I don't need to get all this, this is shop talk. But I say, listen, you guys aren't going far enough. You want a big church? You want to fill the pews? This is all you got to do. You have the largest church in the world. Cut off a finger every Sunday. Okay, that sounds odd, but like, this is the mentality that they have. It's like anything at all to get people in the pews. And I do that to say, I just do that to wake them up. Because no one would do that. I hope. What questions should we be asking when we talk about a church gathering? Christians gathering. What does God want in a church? What does God want at Grace Church? That's the question. And thankfully, he reveals that to us. He reveals that to us in the Bible. And so, from the beginning here, we, we did, did that, and, and I've shared this story before, but um, we, we were trying to put together a church statement to put on our pen, and, and we're just kind of thinking through all the different principles and things to go through, and, and uh, John Brackbill and I were just sitting there looking at how to do that, and, and we just said, you know what, let's stop for a year and study Scripture. And think, what are the principles that God wants in a church? And I have this study here. I'm going to put that at the back table. This is, this, these are 600 principles. 600 and some. 
okay? That, that, that all talk about what God wants in a local church. And we found that each of those kind of summed up, you know, you could, you could summarize like these hundred under this category, these hundred under that category, and that became our, our purpose statement as a church. The first one here that we're going to deal with today is glorifying God. A Bible church, Bible-driven church, exists not for man, not for Tim, not for you. Now, you benefit as you're a part of it, but the church doesn't exist for humans. Total shift in thinking. You don't exist for yourself. That would be called what? Big I, idolatry. We exist for God, and our church exists for God. So we could look at many different passages, and I highlight that in the chapter on this. We did that in Sunday school a little bit earlier. But the one that I really love, it just hits it so clear, is Ephesians 3. Okay, so let's look at the Ephesians 3. There's God's perfect plan and God's perfect purpose. Verse 20, God's perfect plan. Uh, verse 21, the, the purpose for that plan and the power that's involved in it. And this is actually comforting to all of us because as we live to the glory of God, it gives us purpose in life. It gives us fulfillment that goes beyond just family work. Okay? All right, God's perfect plan. Three questions here. Who is he? What is he able to do? And where do we find this power at work? Who is he? Now to him. Who is the him here? This is almighty God. God the Father, now to him, and so the summary statement would be, to God be glory in the church. This is what this sentence is saying. May God be glorified in the church. What has he said about this God? You see that word now. This is a summary of all he's been teaching up to this point, Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Now, because of all that, to him be glory in the church. And really, chapter 4, 5, and 6, the rest of that hinge shows us how to walk in such a way that glorifies our great God. So this is the hinge passage as he gives this benediction, this doxology uh, to God. Okay, now to him. What has he said about him? Listen to a few things that he said about him. Blessed be the God, chapter 1, verse 3, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What has he done? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Talking about a way to start. Every spiritual blessing you have is because of God and Jesus. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has done this. He has chose us. In him, before the foundation of the world, chosen us in him, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory. He did that to the praise of his glory. He has lavished on us love through the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. We have no forgiveness outside of God reaching down and canceling our debt in Jesus. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. 
In him we have obtained an inheritance according to the counsel of the will of God the Father. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel, having believed, are sealed by God through the Holy Spirit of promise. Now we know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. God's working is in us. And this is the kind of working, resurrection power. Chapter 1, verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, this is something else God has done. God has rich in mercy. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he saved us by his grace. And he raised us up and seated us in heavenly places. In one sense, you're seated here in this church today. In another sense, you're seated in heaven because God lives outside of of time. He has prepared us for good works, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 3 goes on and describes that he does all of this to to his glory, providing unity in the church. These are all the things that God has done. He is the Almighty God who has done so much for us in Christ. But he ends here with not just that. He moves from all of those things he's done for us spiritually, and he just expands it. What is he able to do for you? today and then he just heaps superlative after superlative after superlative right he is able to do more right he is able to do he's able to do for you he's able to do more for you he is able to do far more for you He is able to do far more abundantly beyond for you all that you could ask. He is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. Use your imagination. Your imagination goes wild. All the different things that God could do for you goes beyond that. Limitless, almighty power. And so, so what's helpful for this is like, If it's not here now, maybe it's because I haven't prayed and asked. But if I've prayed and asked, it's in his perfect plan. I've got to wait. It's not limited by power. He is able to do far more abundantly than you ever imagined or dreamed or thought. And so our church thinks, well, wouldn't it be great if this? Wouldn't it be great with this? He can do far more beyond we could ask or think in this church. Why are we just praying for two million in Queens? He can do far more abundantly of all of that. He is not limited in power. His grace is not short. His hand is not weak. He is exceedingly abundantly able. I love that hymn. Come, my soul, I suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer what? Prayer. You're coming to a king. Large petitions bring. I love praying very specifically about small things in my life and watching God answer those prayers. But I love praying big prayers because there is no limit to our great God. A lot of times the the limit is our prayers. Perhaps Elizabeth thought that way as she prayed in her very weak condition she would die at 27. 
she gave herself to this little four-year-old boy who was a rebel. She pounded the word of God into that little brain, singing songs and hymns and memorizing scripture, crying tears over him that he would be used of God. And eventually, he wrote that hymn, John Newton. It took a long time before God got a hold of his heart. And he said, one of the things God used were the memory back to his mom. His dad was absent, but his mom's faith and pouring over her son. This is the power that God gives. It's large petitions changing the heart of a child from a cursing little child, sailor, in John's case, to one who gives blessing, writing hymns, from a thief to a giver. And so we find here large petitions. And so whatever it is in your heart today, I hope that you will claim this promise and come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand why this is still wanting in my life, but I leave it in your hand and I, I claim this promise you are able to do far more exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask you or even think to ask you. And so I rest in that. I rest in that because his plans are perfect. His plans are perfect. Okay? Now, there is another phrase here that is important. This phrase is according to God is able to do everything Exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think, according to his power working where? Within us. This is amazing. This is the location of God's power on earth today. You wonder why God, I mean, sometimes he does, but he rarely comes in and slays Hitler. He rarely comes in and totally takes care of all of the starving people in a country. Why? his power is displayed. Why? Where? In you. In me. In his light bearers. This, this is, he is able to do far more abundantly according to this kind of power. The standard which God uses is you and me. We are the broken vessels from which the light of Gideon's army shines. You are the weapon of God in the world you are the extension of his power today. This is amazing truth. If you are a Christian, you are so important in New York City. You are literally the power of God in this community. As you pray and as you interact with people. So wherever you find yourself, it's not a mistake. It's God the Spirit working in your life, placing you in places on purpose. Like Ruth, like Esther, like Peter and Paul, James and John, you see it all over the Bible. This passage is an amazing one that teaches this, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We now have this light, this treasure, right, shining in our hearts. We ourselves like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, namely the Holy Spirit. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You are, you, are a, you are a just a cracked vessel containing an amazing treasure, and that amazing treasure is God himself, the Holy Spirit. 
And he is able to do far more abundantly than all you could ask or think. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you. That you've received from God. You're not your own. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. What does that look like? The Holy Spirit lives in, in, in us. And this is what this is referring to. It's the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling a human. That is God's power manifested. That he's doing exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. What does that look like? It is the power for sanctifying us. Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit dwelling in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if you live according to the spirit, you'll put to death the deeds of the body. Sanctification, through saying no to sin, is the Holy Spirit working in you. I mentioned this last week, right? We, we often think, what is, what is the sensational stuff God's doing today? The sensational stuff is changing me from a persnickety old man to a gracious, loving dad. That's amazing. You can't fake that 24-7. You can fake that at church today for an hour, but you can't fake that. The Holy Spirit has to do that. 2 Corinthians 3, he's changing us from glory to glory. The Holy Spirit is doing that in you, making you more and more like Jesus. This is sanctifying us work. This is the sensational thing that God the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today. Secondly, manifesting his fruit in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that make us so different And it's not you, it's not me. We can't force this. We read it and we see the glory of God as he reveals it, but we ask him to form this in me. Lord, may your spirit manifest his joy in my life, his peace in my life, his patience in my life, his kindness in my life. Self-control. All of these things are sensational changes. will make you a... Extremely vital person to every, everyone you, t- you meet. Providing unity, Ephesians 3 for 4. And I mention that because we're in Ephesians, but he goes on and he shows how, how uh, the Spirit provides unity, Ephesians 3, between Jewish people and Gentile people, and it's the unity that the Spirit provides. And he sees these folks, they were so different in all their celebrations, in all of their language, in all of their, everything about them was so different, and they come to the church and they have unity. That is something the Spirit provides. In our church, we have people from all over the world, right? All these different traditions, all these different uh, independence days even, and, and languages and cultures, and we all have unity in the faith, in the truth, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the unity that the Spirit provides in one body. And so it's a Spirit-glorifying unity. Ephesians 3 says the, the angels look down and they glorify the multifaceted wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit provides service to God and one another through his gifting in us. This is another way that God works exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. He, he, he gifts people in his church. And so you see that in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. But, but we could go on and on 
Even beyond here, there are gifts that the Spirit gives. He, he gives some to teach, to preach, but to give, to rule, to serve, to show mercy, to show wisdom, to show knowledge, to show faith. These are the works of the Holy Spirit. And he's gifting you toward this end as you manifest, as you minister one to another in the church. And then ultimately praising God the Son. One of the ultimate works of the Holy Spirit in the church is to give glory to God the Son, and that's where he moves on here in just a minute. But um, John 16, verses 13 to 14, when he, the Spirit of truth, so Jesus is testifying to the Holy Spirit, he's going to come as the Comforter, he will guide you into all truth, whatever he hears he will speak, he will disclose what is to come, he will glorify me. And so the Holy Spirit comes into the church and he glorifies the Son. The Spirit's work in the church today is, is not to draw attention to himself. It's draw attention to the Son. And the Son's work is to draw attention to the Father. One speaker put it this way, the Holy Spirit's distinctive role is to fulfill a floodlight ministry in relationship to the Lord Jesus. Okay, this is not moving forward. Oh, there we go. Floodlights are not seen. They, they are not the focus of attention. They, they turn the attention on to something else. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are placed so that you do not see them. In fact, you are not supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you're meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He, he shines glory to Jesus. So a spirit-filled person will do the same. They will speak of Jesus. I love that psalm too where Ruki ended. Where did it end? Pointing to Jesus. All of our hymns, all of our praises, pointing to Jesus. You go to Revelation and you find the, the song for eternity will be what? Glory to God and the Lamb. Pointing to Jesus. The floodlight to the Spirit-filled person. And so this is the, the, the ultimate plan of God that He's doing in our lives. And this is what we need to be focused on as a church. And I'll, I'll wrap up in just a minute and, and, and deal with the application here. But let's get verse 21. Uh, this, this purpose. Uh, he, he does it through you and I. Uh, he's able to do it ex- through his power, exceedingly abundantly, above all we could ask or think. Uh, now to him be glory in the church. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, the Spirit's power in us, to him be the glory. All right, so what does he receive? Here, he receives what? Glory. Uh, God receives glory. That's our word doxa. That's where we get the doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We need to kind of end with that one. I should have thought of that. That's a good one. Right? This is the glory of God that we need to focus on. This is our purpose as a church. This is why we exist as a church. Our ultimate purpose is to follow God's word because that gives glory. To glorify God is to bring honor, to praise something else, to shine a spotlight on his glory. And so we are not a human-centered organization. Right? A social club, an educational system, all of us, this thing here called church is meant to glorify God. 
The chief end of Grace Baptist Church is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, what are the agents of his glory? And that's, I was just kind of getting to that. Uh, To him be, this is the agent that God uses. First of all, the church and Christ. This is what God the Father used to bring glory to himself. He uses the church. God uses us gathered. Okay, that word church, we say it, what would they have thought then? It had developed quite a bit by Ephesians. It had become a thing. You would have heard it at first, it would be just a gathering. A gatherer, a gathered group, the word. The idea by this time was a, a, a group that met to follow Christ, worship God, obey his ordinances, and serve one another in love. There were certain images that God developed to help us remember this, this church, what it is. Jesus promised a building. I will build my what? Church. So we have the first reference here. Jesus promises when he raises again, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is an organization that I will build. I will build my gathered group of people. A promised building. A purchased flock. Acts 20, 28. Paul encourages the pastors to Watch over the flock which Jesus has purchased with his own blood. This is a flock. It's a purchased flock so precious to God. Do not mistreat his church. He will will pour out his wrath on you if you mistreat his church. Now you're his church, right? Let's not mistreat one another. It's a spiritual temple. 1 Peter 2.5, we are growing up into this He says, we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing here. You're a stone, a living stone placed together. And when we come here together, we offer up worship to God as we serve one another, but as we sing his praises. We're a spiritual temple. That's why this is important. That's why when we sing, we really need to engage. It's not just tradition. It's really important, right? You could practice those songs Saturday night. Do I know this song? Can I sing it well tomorrow with the brothers and sisters? That would show that you thought this was important. Your Sunday schedule is so important to to maximize, to come prepared in heart, ready to focus on God and his glory. This is so important. We are a spiritual temple that God's building. We're a growing body and a purified bride. He's growing us. We're not just stones. He's actually growing us like hands and eyeballs that that grow from infant to old age. He's growing us. He's purifying us as his bride. He's sanctifying us through his word. All of these things are precious to God. And he's doing this unto his glory. He's He's building up this thing called the church. And so we can't just say, what do we want in church? We can't do that. It's so important to think carefully, what does God want in church? If there are areas that we need to develop as a church, as 
as a group of pastors, please say, hey, look, look at this scripture, look at this scripture. Not, not just one, but if you see like 10 scriptures, you say, I don't know that we're doing this. Let me know. Absolutely. Because we have no tradition but scripture. Well, scripture, you know, traditions can be helpful, but scripture is our sole authority for life and practice. And in Christ Jesus. bringing glory to the Father, you read Revelation, it's all through the Son who has purchased us. And so Ephesians is all what God is doing through Jesus Christ unto his glory forever. Um, And he is using this bride, this beautiful thing called the church, to do it. And how long does that last? Well, it lasts quite a bit. Forever and ever, God is going to give glory to himself through the church. So I realize there's so many things that you could be involved in, but let's just recognize this is important. This is important. Now, it's not just Grace Church, is it? There are many churches to be a part of. I'm not just saying this church is the only. There are so many churches. This is a body that he's building throughout all over the world. Right? It's a glorious body that he's working. We need to connect ourselves to a, a Bible-driven church and live out his purposes for church, and then also live out his purposes for individuals to his glory. So I'm just going to take, I'm out of time. I'm going to take just two minutes and mention these ways that we apply this as a church, why this is important. First of all, we have a God-focused ministry philosophy. This is why we're Bible-driven, because what God says matters. If you say He's glorious, and you don't do what he says, you're lying. You can say it all you want. Your feet have to back it up. And so we could put Bible-driven on our pen, but it doesn't mean we're Bible-driven unless we actually strive by God's grace, endeavor to carry that out. And as we do, we are giving glory to God. Not we're just doing lip service. This is where our focus should be as a church. Again, so many things to be involved in. But what should our focus be? Carry out God's purposes. God-focused corporate worship. Again, our worship services are not what do people want. What does God want? Excuse me. And so, that is a tickle. Okay. So, in eight weeks... We're going to have this birthday party, and I want us to fill this room. I really, I want every pew to be full, okay? So we're going to think of a lot of ways to do that. And, and if you want to help me with that, please do. We'll start a committee. Who wants to chair the committee? No. I, like, there's all kinds of fun things we can do that's not chopping off a finger. Or doing things that, like some of these pastors will talk about sex, and they'll be sitting up a bed at the front. Like, we're not going to do stuff like that. But, like, there's ways to engage people and bring people in. But that's going to be October 30th. That's one Sunday. Okay? We're not going to do that every Sunday. Because this, this gathering is not made for non-Christians. Now, it's awesome to say one, one Sunday a year, two Sundays a year, we really work on bringing people in who don't know Jesus so we can share the gospel with them. But that can't be every Sunday. So the focus of this is what does God want, not what do I want. Let me encourage you to think that way. This is not about me. If you have lived a tirely selfish life, you're going to have a hard time with this. 
but the Spirit can change your focus. The Spirit does that, and that's sensational when someone starts living for God. You can't explain that any other way. Now, you can explain a bunch of people coming because there's a lotto ticket under one of the pews. That's selfishness. Okay? Um, God, glorifying order of service. This is why we focus on one attribute of God each Sunday. Why do we do that? Because we're trying to carry this out. We're endeavoring, albeit so imperfectly. Why do we teach about the glory of God in every aspect of our life? Again, this is individually, not just church, but again, as you, as you crunch numbers to the glory of God, you're going to be putting out reports that are like flooring people. Man, help! did you see what Henry did on this thing? This is awesome. Why? Because Henry wasn't doing that for his boss or for a raise. He was doing that to the glory of God. You see how this, this is all-encompassing. This, this is how we teach life. This is how I can be a dad to the glory of God. How I can be a pastor to the glory of God. How I can change a diaper or a tire to the glory of God. Teaching God's glory. Building character to the glory of God. Let your light shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Worship-focused evangelism, right? Again, our ultimate purpose is not just to see people find life fulfillment. That's awesome because I know if they know Jesus, they'll live a better life. They'll have a like, more fulfilling life. It's so important for them. They'll live in heaven for eternity and not in hell. But you know what? Ultimately, it's also because Jesus deserves their worship. That's why I go to this person, that person, that person, because they're involved in an idolatry if they're living for anything else but Jesus, and he deserves it. He commands their now need to be bent to him. Our music worship service is focused by God's grace, and, and it, it really is. You guys are sounding so good. It's the congregation singing, the congregation resounding glory to the God. Right? If our, if our accompanying music overtakes the congregation giving worship to God, then it's misplaced. And there's a spectrum there. I realize that. Um, and, and there's all kinds of things we could talk about there. But still, the ultimate thing is it's got to be to the glory of God, so we have to have the people singing to God, and we've got to hear people singing to God. And it's a beautiful thing. As we continue to fill up, as you guys practice your singing, um, we, we will continue to, to resound. And, and it's a beautiful thing to hear. In fact, I, I remember... I'm not going to get into that. we got to go. Um, so let me end. We, um, we, this is our life. Our lives are to be given to the glory of God, whether it's a spreadsheet or attending Grace Church. All of this be to the glory of God. Uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, a lot of you know him. Maybe you don't, but you've listened to him. I know you have many times. One of the greatest composers of all time. And why? Because he had approached a spreadsheet, he approached a composition, as all of us should approach everything to the glory of God. As music director of St. Thomas Church in Leipzig, Germany, he was challenged to compose a new piece of music every week for his church. A huge, huge task. I mean, just think what, what uh, Brother Mookie and Pastor Andrew did with, with our church for Psalm 2. That, that's a lot of work. Imagine doing that every week. A new piece. And it was stuff that we're still playing 300 years later. At the end, at the bottom of each sheet of music, you know what he wrote? S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. Only 
to the glory of God. That would be a great way to compose everything you do. Each day a page bound in a book at the bottom of each page only to God be the glory. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's talk to the Lord about that. He may need to adjust our thinking. He may need to adjust your values, what you value. Um, It's a convicting thing because none of us will live this way perfectly. So again, all of us as a church, this is why we're doing this. We need to be reminded again. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us by, by your grace to live to your glory as a church. Show us where we need to change, where we need to be better because we exist for you. Let's all talk to the Lord about that. If you'd like to pray, I'll be standing in the back lobby, be happy to pray with you. But let's all talk to God about his glory.